an eight-week look at current issues and biblical answers, and we decided we'll just get the big one out right off the bat. We're going to talk about politics, and I'm breaking about every rule of homiletics and preaching etiquette that is out there, because you never talk about politics in the local church, but we're going to do that nonetheless. And my hope for you in this, not just today, but really all eight weeks, is that you will allow yourself to be stretched that you will allow yourself to maybe take any preconceived notions, maybe lifelong theories, lifelong perspectives that you've had, and, and you'll maybe lay them aside for a moment. And we can honestly look at some of these issues that are facing us in the world today. We're going to talk about politics today. Next week is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We're going to talk about abortion. In two weeks, we're going to talk about immigration. On the 31st, we're going to talk about the, the issue of homelessness and the poor and the oppressed and what's the Bible say about that. On Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to talk about sports and, and is uh, sports our friend or our foe? And I got to tell you, I love sports. My kids play sports. I spend a lot of time, whether I'm recreating myself or I'm watching sporting events. And, you know, is that a good thing or can that be problematic? That's also going to be a day we're going to invite you to wear your favorite sporting gear. And some of you are wearing your favorite sporting gear today, and that's great. But on the, the 7th of February, Super Bowl Sunday, we'd like everyone, if you have something, to do that. We're going to talk marriage on February 14th. That's Valentine's Day. And I can't wait for that service because we're going to honor multiple couples from our congregation that have been married 50 years or longer, both services that day. It'll be a great living illustration for us on the 20th. First, we're going to tackle the issue of education. And what's the Bible say about education? And Adam and I are going to tag team the message that day. We're going to talk about public school education and private school education and homeschooling. You're going to hear some testimonies that day. And we're hoping that we can really approach this in a very honorable way and that we'll walk out on the 21st really understanding what's God's Word have to say to mom and to dad and to grandma and to grandpa in the world of education. And on the 28th, I'll be with the high schoolers on the winter retreat and Adam is preaching on social media that day. And uh, you know, what's God think about Facebook? What's God's Word tell us about Instagram or um, Twitter or any of the other social medias that um, we are a part of? So that's going to be our series. I want to start today by giving you some context in this world of politics. And I realize that a lot of you, man, you're a diehard Republican. And you've been a diehard Republican, and you're saying, I'm always going to be a diehard Republican. And I'm not going to tell you today you shouldn't be a Republican. Some of you, you're a diehard Democrat, and you've always been a diehard Democrat, and you've said you're going to die a diehard Democrat. And I'm not going to tell you that you should change that perspective, okay? That's not the purpose of this message. I'm not endorsing Donald Trump this morning. I'm not endorsing Hillary Clinton this morning. I'm not endorsing anyone this morning in terms of political office. But what I want to do is look at how as Christians should we approach this issue of politics in 2016, which will be a year of politics uh, with a presidential election. So let me give you some context. I want to start by saying my opinion, we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. And a major reason why is our political system. If you have never traveled abroad, if you've never been in, in, in countries where that is not the case, you have a tendency just to accept that. It's just, that's just the way it is. It is a blessing to be an American. It is a blessing to live in the United States of America. It is a blessing to have elections and not see people die. 
It is a blessing to see someone maybe make a political statement of opposition and not be hung for it. It is a blessing. So if you hear nothing else, hear that. It's a blessing to be in the U.S. That said, however, understand much of the Bible is written in very different times, during very different times. You don't see democracy. When Peter and Paul and John and the other authors of the New Testament write their books, um, they're living under an oppressive emperor much of that time. In fact, Peter and Paul would die martyrs' deaths because of their faith. So I think in some ways their words are even more powerful when you consider their context, when you consider their situation. I also believe that our modern political system is much different and not for the better, by the way, than what our founding fathers envisioned. See, I don't think our founding fathers thought we're going to put together a political system where people will be career politicians and they'll become millionaires and they'll be these power brokers for the rest of their life. I'm pretty sure that's not what they had in mind. I think they envisioned a a Dave would go and serve in Congress for two years. And then Ken would go and serve in Congress for two years. And then Jim would go and serve in Congress for two years. And then I would go and serve in Congress for two years. And it really would be a a government of the people for the people. So again, this is all context. Moving on, I understand the obvious, the issue of politics is divisive and can create barriers within the church related to mission and to purpose. And that's tragic when that happens. But I understand that that's the case. And then finally... More than ever, and this is really the reason I wanted to tackle this issue early on, more than ever, I see apathy in the lives of Christians as it pertains to government, as it pertains to politics. And that, I promise you, is not a positive. So with that, let's dive in. I want to do two things, really three things this morning. I want to give you something I came across in 1995, and I'm just going to read it. It's a bulletin insert for you. You can take it with you. But it's called The Ten Commandments for Christians in Regards to Politics. It's from a book. You know, the book's okay. You can read it if you want to, if you can find it. But I really like The Ten Commandments. It stretched me. It made me look at Greg Taylor and say, am I on the right path? So I'm going to read these and we'll move on. Number one, commandment number one, you will acknowledge your own finite and sinful nature and thus the limited scope of your perspective. Two, you will acknowledge that your brother or sister in Christ may disagree with you and yet remain deserving of your respect as a brother and sister in Christ. If we can tackle that, that's progress. Number three, you will learn to articulate fairly, honestly, and thoroughly the positions of your opponent. Four, you will follow the path toward truth even when it challenges your previous conclusions and beliefs. Five, you will encourage independent thinking rather than conformity, seeking to educate before seeking to persuade. Six, you will seek to understand and acknowledge how your own presuppositions, bias, and personal experiences may influence your perspectives on various issues. Seven, you will resist the temptation to stereotype and will instead realize generalizations often mask important distinctions. Eight, You will recognize that in this pluralistic nation, there's an important difference between shaping public policy based on Christian values and instituting public policy that is specifically Christian. Nine, you will make a special effort to consider the viewpoints of those who, based on educational specialty or personal proximity, may have greater insight or a more informed perspective than the average citizen. We're trying to do that through this entire series. Next week, as we talk about abortion and adoption, you're going to hear from an adoption expert from Illini Christian Ministries. 
Someone who spends 52 weeks a year helping families adopt. And I would consider her an expert in that arena. And then number 10, you will, when in doubt, risk erring on the side of the most vulnerable. So that's there for the taking. Take it, leave it, do what you want with it. It's in your bulletin. It was helpful for me. Two things I want to do this morning. This issue is current issues. The series is current issues, biblical answer. So I want to go to the Word. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture your direction and try to grab some biblical principles for Christians as it relates to the world of politics. And then I want to leave you with some practical application for 2016. So number one is this, biblical principles for Christians related to the world of politics. Number one, we're called to be good citizens. Be good citizens. And we're going to hear from Jesus first and foremost in Matthew chapter 22, um, two different groups of religious people of the day come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him and, and one is very uh, pro-conform to the government of the day and one is very anti-tax, you know, don't pay taxes, we're not going down that road. And they try to use this issue of a tax to try to trap Jesus. So let's look at the word, Matthew 22, beginning with verse 15, it says, then the Pharisees went out. And they laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to Jesus along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, you may say, how is that a controversial question? Well, they really are trapping Jesus. Because if Jesus says, absolutely pay your taxes, you need to be a good, law-abiding citizen, basically Jesus is saying you need to proclaim that Caesar is Lord. And that goes against the grain what Jesus is all about. Jesus is saying, I am Lord. Jesus is saying our ultimate allegiance is to God in heaven. But the other side of the coin is, if he says, yeah, that's right, we're not paying taxes, get our picket signs, we're going down that road, uh, then he's going to be considered a rebel rouser. Someone that's trying to incite rebellion against the government of the day. So they're trying to trap him here. And Jesus' answer is brilliant. Look at verse 18. He says, Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. Jesus doesn't even have a coin. The preacher doesn't even have a coin. He can't even pull a coin out of his pocket. He says, show me the coin. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Verse 21, Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and they went away. And the point's obvious. It's Jesus's point here. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And so be a good citizen. That, that's the takeaway for me. That's the takeaway for us. We're called to be good citizens. We're not called to pledge our allegiance beyond God to our government. We're not called to say that, that my greatest allegiance is to a political party or to a politician but we're called to be good citizens. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Along these lines is another verse, and it's sandwiched at, at the end of a teaching by Peter. Peter writes in a time when Nero is emperor. Nero's 
rule will actually lead to Peter being crucified upside down a couple years after he writes the book of 1 Peter. But in the midst of it, he gives some teaching, and we'll get to the bulk of the teaching later, but how do you interact with those who are in authority? And here is his summary statement. Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. And I think it's the Jesus principle of give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. He says, yes, you honor the king. You honor the emperor. You honor the person that's in control, but you love the brotherhood of believers, and you fear God. That's not go hide in the corner, I'm afraid fear. That's reverent fear. That's holy fear. That's awesome fear. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And the, the, the takeaway is this, show proper respect to everyone. This will make some of you mad. I think that when we use forums that are available for us to rant and to rave in anti-Christian ways, even if we're not fans of political philosophies or political decisions, we harm the cause of Christ. I can't say it any more clear than that. And I know some of you may be saying, he's talking about me. I'm speaking in generalities, but it may very well be something that you struggle with. So I want to, for your consideration, to consider, are you someone that can say, I'm showing proper respect to everyone in the world of politics? Or do I go too far? Am I too down that road? Show proper respect to everyone. Be a good citizen. Two, biblical principle for Christians related to the world of politics, choose submission. And just, man, right there, that word, we struggle with it. We don't want to submit. I don't want to submit. We want to be in control. We want to be the boss. We want to say, you're not the boss of me. We want that to be our philosophy. But both Peter and Paul in 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 drive home this idea of submission. Let's look at the word. 1 Peter 2 verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will. Anytime you read Scripture and it says it is God's will, that's something to pay attention to. That means I'm going to get my highlighter out. That means I'm going to underline. That means I'm going to really lock in. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So by choosing submission, by choosing to submit, even when I disagree, even when I'm not on board with the philosophy, I'm silencing the talk of ignorant people. What about Romans 13? The Apostle Paul would also die a martyr's death, and he is writing uh, to to the capital city. He's writing to, to Rome, to Christians in Rome, and he says, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so willingly bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right 
and He will commend you. And so the principle is submit. Why are we submitting? To silence the talk of the ignorant. To silence the talk of the ignorant. And I want to tell you, it is hard to submit. It is hard to choose submission. Submission does not mean agreement. Submission does not mean I have to embrace a platform. Submission does not mean I can't stand up for principles that I hold near and dear. But submission, when Christians choose that, according to Paul, according to Peter, silences the talk of the ignorant. Principle number three, this is huge, commit to pray for those in government and leadership. We've said that we want 2016 to be a year of prayer for our church. We want to stretch ourselves individually. We want to stretch ourselves in smaller groups. We want to stretch ourselves as a corporate body of believers in the arena of prayer. And right here, sermon number one of the new year, we're looking at a command of Scripture to pray for those in leadership. It's Paul this time. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy's ministering in Ephesus, a very, very important first century city kind of a troubled church, not, not terribly troubled, not like the church at Corinth, but they, they had some issues of their own. And Timothy's trying to carry on this ministry, and really probably a year before Paul died, maybe two years before Paul died, he's living under house arrest. He writes to Timothy these words. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It doesn't say all people will be saved, but it says God wants all people to be saved. And so let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for President Obama? When's the last time you prayed for Governor Rounder? When's the last time you prayed for our mayor? When's the last time you prayed for your state representative? Honestly, I bet a lot of us, we don't even know who our state representative is. How can we pray for them? When's the last time we prayed for someone that we just, man, we radically disagree with them politically? I think it would be so cool if this week the White House got like 500 letters from 61727, and the letters didn't say anything about politics, didn't say anything about policy. All it said is, Mr. President, we are praying for you. I am praying for you. My family is praying for you. Or Springfield, just inundate Governor Rauner with 500 letters from 61727. Mr. Governor, we are praying for you. Mr. Governor, I am praying for you. Or how about our county board chair? Or our mayor? Or our representative? We are praying for you. Here's the point. It's difficult to hate. It's difficult to demonize someone you pray for or someone you pray with regularly. Try it. There's someone you really struggle with, maybe hates too strong of a word, you just really, really, really dislike, whatever the phraseology might be, start praying for them every day. And my guess is your attitude toward that person could, could possibly change. And Paul says, it's not optional. Start praying. Pray for people in leadership. So, number one, be a good citizen. Number two, choose submission. Number three, commit to pray for those in government and leadership. And number four, and I'm going to say I think this is most important. I think this is the most important of, of any of these principles. Never compromise your faith in Christ at the expense 
of government or politics. And I know some of you, the wheels are turning. I can see it in your eyes. You're saying, you told me to submit, and now you're telling me to never compromise. How, how do I walk that tightrope? And it's a challenge. It is. But I want to give you an example of something that happened right after the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had performed a miracle in Acts chapter 3. They healed a lame man. You would think some guy can't walk. He's healed. Everybody's happy, right? Well, they're not happy. The religious leaders of the day are not happy because they find out that he was healed in the name of Jesus. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. The guy goes walking and leaping and praising God. If you've been in junior church, you know the song. Well, they're frustrated, the religious leaders, because they thought they killed Jesus, they thought Jesus was all done, and now his followers are doing miracles in his name. So they call them in and they're like, look, we'd like to kill you, we'd like to really shut you up, but the people are digging you because of the miracles, so here's the deal. Stop talking about Jesus. Shut up about Jesus. We don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. Enough already. Just be done with it. And I love the resolve of Peter and John. They called them in and again commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen or heard. They said, shut up about Jesus. And they said, you know, we can't. You can arrest us. But we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. You can torture us, but we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. You can kill us, but we're going to keep speaking about Jesus. And that's a huge principle for all of us to grab a hold of. Make sure the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing shouldn't be a political party. The main thing shouldn't be a candidate. The main thing shouldn't be a political platform. I know I'm, I'm stepping on some toes. The main thing should be Jesus Christ. The main thing should be God's Word. And when we allow that to take place, that, that's infectious. That infiltrates through communities. That changes communities. People look at that and they say, wow, I want to be a part of that. Here's the point. No one can serve two masters. And I think, honestly, at times in my life, I've tried to do that. I've tried to be Greg the Republican and Greg the Christian. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you're a Republican. I'm a registered Republican. I don't apologize for that. But my allegiance has to always be to Jesus Christ, first and foremost. It has to be to God's Word. It can't be to a party. It can't be to a candidate. It can't be to a platform. So where do we go from here? What do we do with politics? 2016 is going to be a year of politics. The commercials just get ready. They're coming. Four suggestions. Number one, I think we have to start with ourselves, live such good lives. We need to make sure that our own houses, our own lives are in order. We got to be the real thing. We got to be the real deal. And that's where, you know, if you say, I'm going to pray every day for my leaders, that, that's living such good lives. It's awesome if you do it. It's even better if you do it and you let them know that you're doing it. I, I get a lot of feedback, my role of, as minister, 
And my favorite feedback are people that don't have any agendas whatsoever, and they just say, just want you to know I'm praying for you. Just want you to know, got your back. Just want you to know I lifted you up in prayer this morning. That never makes me sad. That always brings a smile to my heart. I can't imagine being president or governor or mayor or county board chair or House of Representatives, anything along those lines and the pressures they must feel. How cool would it be to say, man, there's a bunch of Christians in 61727 that prayed for me today. Number two, use our vote to advance the values and the policies that we embrace. I read a statistic and I think it's correct, I couldn't confirm it 100%, that the last presidential election, 50% of evangelical Christians did not vote. They just didn't vote. They just said, yeah, sitting this one out. For whatever reason. And I know some of us, we're so apathetic, we say things like, does my vote really matter? Well, you know what, it does matter to you. And so use your vote. We should use our vote to embrace the issues, to embrace the policies, the values that are important to us and not be ashamed about it, not be in your face obnoxious, not be cult-like, but to say, yeah, I unashamedly endorse this position. I unashamedly embrace this position. Number three, study the issues and know the facts. And for some of us, we've just not, we've not taken the time. We don't even know the issues. We don't care about the issues. And it's just more fun maybe to surf Facebook or to watch a Hallmark Channel movie. or something. And there's nothing wrong with Hallmark Channel movies. But, man, let's take some time and know the issues. Let's be educated. Let's know the facts. And then finally, speak the truth, but do it in love. Peter and John... When they looked at those religious leaders and said, you know what, you do what you're, do, choose for yourself what you think is right. We can't stop talking about Jesus. He's the real deal. He was raised from the dead. We, we were able to heal someone in his name. We're going to keep on preaching Jesus. They weren't being obnoxious. They were speaking the truth in love. And we're called to speak the truth, but to do it in love. My prayer for 2016 is that this year will be a year where Christians, not just in Clinton and DeWitt County, but all across the country, will rise above the vitriol, will rise above the animosity, will rise above the division. And we're going to elect a president, and some of you are going to be excited, and some of you are not. But that we won't find ourselves getting sucked into the, boy, I really hate this, or really hate her, or really hate him. But that through it all, people will say, they're the real deal. They're the genuine article. They're good citizens. They're embracing the submission. They're passionate about prayer. And they're unashamed to make the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to talk about an issue that too often divides. And it's my prayer that it won't divide. But that it'll possibly unite us as your followers, as followers of Jesus Christ. That that song we used to sing at church camp decades ago, they'll know we're Christians by our love, that that won't just be a cheesy song. But that'll be our life. That'll be our witness. That'll be our example. 
Thank you most of all for Jesus and the hope that he brings us. Allow that to be the driving force in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Every week following the sermon, we sing a song, and we call it the song of commitment, song of invitation, song of response. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, I'm up front. I'd love to have the opportunity to have that conversation with you. We also offer the opportunity to pray with you. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm up front. Adam Brucker, our associate minister, will be in the back by the soundboard. And we'd be honored to pray with you during this song. This song will also lead us into our time of communion as we stand together and we sing our song of commitment.